0: Hello, and welcome back to Leader Up, a podcast of Army Management Staff College. Leader Up is a professional conversation where we discuss a broad range of leadership and leader development topics with an emphasis on the Army civilian professional. I'm your host, David Howey. On today's episode of Leader Up, we have a, a very interesting and a very special guest. Our guest today is Dr. James Hellas, and he is the director of the Army Resilience Directorate, and he is also a member of the Senior Executive Service. And we're going to talk today about the Army Resilience Directorate and some other leadership and leader development topics. And so, uh, Leader Up audience, let me bring our our guest in, Doctor Hellas. Thank you so much for being with us today, and thank you for being uh, on Leader Up.
1: Uh, David, it's a privilege to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: So let's start, Dr. Hellis, with just a big-picture look at your organization, the Army Resilience Directorate. What is it, and what are some of the major programs that are in the Army Resilience Directorate?
1: Uh, good question. Uh, we're, we're a team of about uh, 85 individuals, uh, about 80% civilian, uh, the remainder military, Uh, Our portfolio consists of the Army's sexual harassment and assault response and prevention program, uh, the Army suicide prevention program, the substance abuse prevention program, and the promotion of individual resilience. Those are the the major components of the portfolio. Uh, Other programs that we have uh, within the organization are the Army's uh, sponsorship program and the Army's body composition program and a few uh, other health promotion activities.
0: And so if I'm an Army civilian out here in the field, how will the Army Resilience Directorate affect my job, and what, and what kind of things would I be focusing on in order to take advantage of the things that you offer in the Army Resilience
1: Directorate? Great question. Um, the, the first thing we are is a, is a resource and a compendium of resources for, for leaders across the Army. Um, if you go to our webpage, which is armyresilience all all is one word .army.mil um, you'll find a variety of uh, resources that discuss uh, what are what are the army's policies uh, you know in general about resilience and about prevention but also specific to the different programs uh, we have a variety of resources we conduct podcasts and webinars on a on a regular basis on you know, topics from substance abuse to sexual harassment to how do you how do you build individual resilience? How do you build a positive climate? Um, and then, again links to all kinds of resources for commanders. So that is that is the first we do. Um, the second in there that that you you'd find by coming to us is is you know us being able to lay out the. Um, the resources that are available locally at, at installation for for civilian leaders to tap into to you know both build positive climates in their teams and s- support and take care of their team members and and how to prevent or in the event of there is an event how how they can respond and and, and support their team through a uh, you know through through some kind of a difficult event
0: and so um, you've talked a little bit about prevention and I'd I'd like you to address, if you can, how supervisors can establish a climate and a culture of prevention uh, regarding these topics.
1: Yeah, great. You make a great point in the question that the first step in prevention is building a positive climate and, you know, a culture within the organization to build a cohesive team where everybody Values everybody else. You treat everybody is treated with dignity and respect, uh, with empathy. And when when challenges and and issues arise, that the team is there and the leaders are there to support them. Uh, I would say for leaders, the first thing is to articulate that. You know, tell everybody that you expect it. You know that that this is a team, um, rather than do what too often we do in the army, which is lay down a bunch of do nots and what will happen to you if you cross the line. It's to lay down positive positively what you expect of, of folks in terms of their day-to-day interactions. You know, here, here are the standards I have. Here's what I expect. Here's how I expect to see everybody treat each other. Uh, I expect leaders to take care of their teammates. You know, I have an open door if there's a problem or a challenge, you know, that, that somebody has to bring it to me because we're here about taking care of each other so that we can be able to to accomplish the mission. So that's that's the positive side of building it. And and then on the negative side, if there is something that is said, if there's a comment, if there's a remark, if there's something done that 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 crosses the boundary of the norms, you've got to correct it immediately. Don't wait two or three days. Don't ponder it. Just make a quick on the spot correction of Hey, we don't use that kind of language here in the team. It's it's clearly you know role modeling the behaviors you expect and making corrections when when they come up.
0: And then resilience, I. I- Mm-hmm. I thought it was noteworthy that uh, the word resilience is in the name of your organization. And so what role does resilience play in this idea of prevention?
1: Um, what Resilience, everybody goes uh, through challenges in life. They can be relationship challenges, they can be financial challenges, uh, they can be you know, challenges with the health of a family member. They can be professional challenges. Um, what we're intending to do with resilience and developing resilience is to provide everybody the skills, uh, the coping skills that they need so that they can get through those challenges in life, um, that they're better equipped at, you know, to deal with them when they come up to, to be able to plan, to be able to set goals, to be able to maintain a positive attitude so that you can work your way through those problems. Uh, it's not just about you know what what often people say it's about bouncing back or getting up after you're knocked down. Uh, I would say it's more than that. It is giving the skills so that you can push through a challenge so you don't get knocked down. And you know the intent there is if you've got the coping skills to deal with the challenge, you know then you're less likely to turn to unhealthy alternatives to to substance abuse um, to suicidality um, to just, you know, being, you know, to, to, to acting out in the work workplace because you've got all of these problems inside of you. So again, building resilience so people are healthier and better prepared to deal with the challenges of life so they don't fall into harmful behaviors. And your
0: organization is going to realign, uh, from the G1 to the G9. And I'm just curious what is the rationale behind that, and how will that transition affect the Army Resilience Directorate's ability to do its job?
1: Great great question, Dave. Um, the decision to realign the Resilience Directorate from the G1 into the G9 at Headquarters DA is part of a series of decisions uh, made by Secretary Warmouth to enable the Army to better execute prevention to better get ahead of harmful behaviors to get upstream of them. So the first uh, in in these decisions is the the formal designation of a principal staff lead, three star general, who will be the lead for prevention within the Army. And that decision was to go with the G9. The G9 already owns quality of life, the G9 already owns um, soldier family uh, programs. Those are critical in in upstream prevention, primary prevention of, of harmful behaviors. And it made sense to roll the programs associated with those behaviors together uh, into the G9 so that there's better uh, synchronization and coordination uh, between our efforts, because a number of the programs that they run are supportive of our programs and, and kind of vice versa. Um, it allows for, uh, you know, perhaps better efficient, uh, more efficient use of, of resources, um, and it allows for, um, you know, better identification of are there gaps and seams in our in our prevention program. So, again, this is part of a larger effort by the Army to to better uh, go after uh, prevention. Within the Resilience Directorate, um, you know, for, for most folks, it's not going to have a significant change in what we do. The face we present to the Army will still be The Army Resilience Directorate, Um, but it will enable us to more closely coordinate with both those uh, the 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 the, the folks in G nine and their programs that support prevention. So with the designation of the G nine as the lead, to better synchronize all of our efforts, uh, you know, with you know the chaplaincy, the Surgeon General, Provost Marshal General, all have significant prevention activities uh, within within their. Uh, within their offices. And again, the designation of a lead in the consolidation in, in the G9 is going to make it easier to coordinate and synchronize those prevention programs across the Army.
0: I'd like to switch gears uh, with you a mm-hmm. little bit and talk about Army civilians and just how have you seen the role of Army civilians change during your time working with the Army uh, and how do you see the role of the army civilian uh, in the army today?
1: I think the role of the army civilian is is even becoming more critical um, in in the face of the recruiting challenges the army is facing. Um, you know, there's no secret that we're having a, a more difficult time recruiting for the uniformed force. The civilian is the continuity. Um, it's the institutional knowledge within the army. And I think we're going to have to pick up, uh, more responsibilities as, as we cope with a, a, a smaller, um, active duty component. So we'll see more responsibilities, I think, coming our way, um, in, in the future. And it's going to be critical that we stay connected with the force. that we stay part of the force and we understand our, our role that we are, you know, idle, You know, there again, the three active, three components of guard, reserve, and active. But there's also the civilian component. That's that's in my mind is equally important now, particularly for the institutional army. Uh,
0: absolutely, and that kind of leads me into my next question, which is about leadership and leader development mm-hmm. in the army civilian uh, profession, and why is that important? Uh, more so now than maybe it was even 10 years ago, uh, 15, 20, or even 30 years ago, uh, how is leadership and leader development important for us as Army civilians?
1: The the Army has historically always had a very robust program for leader development within the officer corps. Uh, we then came to a recognition pretty much post-World War II um and and again a resurgence post vietnam era of the importance of leadership development for for the enlisted uh soldiers for our non-commissioned officer corps um and then again subsequent to that we seem to have come to the recognition of we need to have a formal structured leader development program for our army civilians um leadership is taught leadership is learned um And we need to invest in the development of of leaders within the civilian corps. Uh, Most folks, you know, starting out in the Army civilian corps, you know, start off in some technical position. And as they develop experience, they develop expertise. It's time to move them up into leadership positions. And we owe it to them and we owe it to the Army. To provide them the leadership development they need, so they can step into those positions. You know, part of it is technical of you know how do you do civilian evaluations? What are your responsibilities in terms of you know equal opportunity in the workplace as a hiring manager? Once you become a leader, but it's also in the just how do you provide leadership? How do you lead people? Um, and again, that's that is learned that is taught. Um, and, and again, I think the Army's made a good move in the last, particularly in the last 10 years of expanding leadership development opportunities for civilians. And I would encourage all of our civilians to take advantage of the formal leadership opportunities that, that are afforded you through the army. Uh,
0: thank you. And, uh, on behalf of everybody here at AMSC, I certainly do appreciate that endorsement. Uh, it's re- it's very refreshing to have senior leaders, uh, endorse the things that we do here at Army Management Staff College regarding leader development. I'd like to ask you about two topics, and I used to hear about these a lot in the classroom uh, from intermediate course students who are GS 10, mm-hmm. 10, 11s, and 12s. And they wanted to talk about this a lot, and they, they were they know that it's important. But they're frustrated with it, and the two topics are delegation and feedback. Mm-hmm. And so, let's start with delegation. Why is delegation important, and and how does someone know when they are delegating effectively?
1: That you know, delegation is one of those key leadership skills, and it, it's really one that's taught. Nobody is is born knowing how how to delegate. Um, I would, you know, stand up in front of the classroom and tell the students, okay, you can't do it all. Once you have moved up to a, a leadership position, your job is more inspiring, supporting, encouraging the people whom you are leading. Um, and, and again, you can't do it all. If the Army intended for you to do it all, you wouldn't be leading a team of, you know, again, for the intermediate course, you know, four or five, six, ten people. Whatever it is, you're there to lead them, which means delegating down to them. And a critical piece of delegation, um, you know, you'll, you'll learn you're 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 effectively delegating. I think when the organization is meeting all of its requirements, you are, you know, processing the hiring actions or the pay actions or the contracts or the maintenance requirements, whatever your requirements are. When you're hitting the mark. Um, with with all of those, and everybody is working. That when you look around your workplace, you see that everybody is actively employed. Um, you don't have people sitting around waiting for work or looking for work. That everybody is is contributing to the team. That's when you know you've effectively uh, delegated down to to the team. I would say a lesson in delegation for for new leaders is you know get out of the way and let people do their jobs. Remember when you were not a, before you were a leader, how much you just wish people would, you know, kind of let me do my job. Be that kind of leader who's going to allow people to do the job. Make sure they know what the expectations are, make sure they get them the resources, take your experience and share your experience with them and teach them so they can be the next you and become an expert in that job um, and support them as they go. delegation can be scary because you know you're go um i would tell intermediate you know to upcoming leaders let your subordinates have latitude to do the job you know let them get to the outcome that's what you're looking for is the result so they may not do things exactly the way you would have done or exactly the way you would have done it in a situation but are they getting to the outcomes you want that's, that's an effective organization and they'll be happier and more productive if you let them, you know, explore and figure out new ways to do things. But you know, delegation absolutely critical because you can't do it all yourself.
0: And the second topic uh, that we talk about a lot in the classroom is feedback. And mm-hmm. so why is feedback important and, and what does it look like when it's done well?
1: Feedback, you know, if you, if, I look at feedback from from you know through a couple of different lenses. One is how do you as a leader provide feedback to your to the members of your team. And you should you know always look at it as you need to provide feedback when they're doing a good job. You know you don't want to constant it's, it's not always here's how to do better, here's how you miss something, but you want to recognize when when people are doing a good job and doing well. That's both through through individual, Counseling that you're doing regularly as part of the, uh, the, the appraisal process, it can be done publicly just in a meeting saying good job on that project, but there's also, you know, the, the whole host of recognition awards where we have now a family of awards from, you know, achievement, accommodation, meritorious service, all the way up to distinguished service for civilians. We're very generous with those with soldiers. We should be equally generous, I think, with those with with civilians. And so if you're a leader, you know, put your civilians in for awards when they do a good job. So that's that's part of the feedback process. And when you're providing the feedback, make it positive in terms of here's how I think you could do things better. Here's opportunities I think that you have for for some professional growth. Or here's some things I'd recommend you do or course I recommend you take. You know, so that so that you can, you know, be promoted and move on to higher levels of, of responsibility. Other feedback is when you're getting feedback from from your boss. Um, and that's one where you need to be in a listening mode. Um, and apply that as you go down and to, to to provide feedback to subordinates. Um, listen, you know, to where your boss is telling that you can improve. None of us walk into a new job knowing everything how to do it. So, listen to your boss and figure out, okay, how can I improve and, and do better in my job? Third part of feedback that we often don't talk about with leaders is getting feedback from the from your team members, okay? When they come up and say, hey, here's something I see in the organization that could be done better, or here's something where I th- I'd, I'd like you to help me out better, or you, I think you could do to help me better do my job, you know, Phrase I learned from, from my current boss, listen to learn. Don't be in the mode of listening to wait to respond, but listen to what's coming from them. Um, and you will achieve great results and, 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 and gain respect from your team members if you take their good ideas and implement them. Or if you can't, to take the time to explain to them why you can't. Is there a legal or regulatory prohibition on doing that? Is there a resourcing issue where I can't do it this year, but, you know, we're going to put it in the budget, you know, and request funding for it next year. But again, you know, look at your feedback coming from, from all directions.
0: And I'd like to switch gears once again and talk about Mm -hmm. the, the senior executive service of which, uh, you are a member. And I want to start with, uh, the symbol that represents the senior executive service what is the significance of that symbol, and what does it mean for you?
1: It's 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 the keystone, and uh, to me, that is not just about the senior executive service, but it's about our civilian employees across the government. That that we're the keystone to things happening. Um, you pull the keystone, and and the arch, the structure will fall. So that's what it's about. It's it's about our Contribution as civilians, in the military and in other, you know, other other departments of the government, you know, of how we are contributing to the nation and how we are serving the nation. And if you pull that keystone out of civilian service, a lot of things start to fall down. What we do matters.
0: And so, uh, what kind of advice would you have for those of us who are members of the Army Civilian Corps who aspire to that? to be a member of the senior executive service? What kind of things should we be doing? What kind of considerations should we have? And what advice do you have for people who are considering that?
1: I thoroughly enjoy uh, being a senior executive. Um, I will say that. It's, is it challenging? Is it demanding? Of course, but all leadership positions are. But I find it extremely rewarding to work with, you know, the, the team that I have and the outstanding professionals who who are working for me, um, you know, in in this organization. For for those who wish to aspire to uh, being a member of the Senior Executive Service, I would first tell folks, don't sell yourself short. Okay, every one of us who is an SES started out, you know somewhere lower in in the hierarchy of the system. And none of us, when we walked into our first assignment as an SES, were were fully, totally prepared for it. There is, as with every job, some on-the-job learning. So don't look at other SESs and sell yourself short and say, well, I'm not as good as this person. Maybe not today, but you can get there. I would say, as you should look for Take advantage of all of the former leadership training opportunities that you can within the Army. Um, get those tiered courses working your way up. Um, because, again, the, the the key within senior executive service, I think, is is delivering leadership. I think a second uh, thing I would advise people is get out of your comfort zone. Um if you have an opportunity for a broadening assignment to move to another, you know, another area, potentially even another career field, I think that would be beneficial to you coming up, uh, as a future SES because we're supposed to provide that executive level, broader, uh, perspective, uh, to, to the leadership and management of, of the army and, and within the government. So get out of your comfort zone and, and learn and develop, uh, different different skills and as a specific i would say go to the opm uh office of Personnel management's uh website on the senior executive service and look at the executive core qualifications that's that's what we are expected to do as senior leaders uh to lead change to lead people to have business acumen to understand how uh government and our agencies operate, to be results-oriented. Go, go read those, and that's what you're looking for, and to work on building those kinds of skill sets and those kinds of mindsets if, if you're aspiring to become a member of the SES. And don't be afraid to reach out to an SES that you know to ask for mentorship. Um, you know, It's one thing that we all are, are charged with formally through OPM is you need to be looking for the next generation of senior executives? Who are the people who are going to come up and be the next you? So if there's an SES that uh, you admire or look up to, not even in your organization, I would encourage you to reach out and say, hey, I'm thinking about you know aspiring to the SES. What, what tips can you give and, and, and build that relationship?
0: And so in our final moments here, I would like to talk about uh, what we call our leader up top threes And, uh, the first one is your top three, if you can give me three, or if you can give me only three, uh, leadership books that you would recommend for, uh, leaders in the army or outside of the army.
1: Yeah, I I would say, you know, for leaders read, um, reading is important. There's a lot of learning you get from reading. Uh, we learn from experience, but you can learn from other people's experience by reading. And that can be both, uh. Positive and negative. Of here, here are things that work, and here are things that. Oops, I, I don't want to go down that path. Um, and and it. This was a tough question. You know, to to name only three, I'm going to name four. Um, I would say first team of rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin. It's about Abraham Lincoln's leadership in the Civil War of bringing together a contentious team of people who didn't necessarily like each other going into the team and had competing agendas within the government and how he brought them together and got them functioning as a team to win the civil war and save the nation. Um, a second I would give is Thinking in Time uh, by Richard uh, Neustadt and Ernest May. It's it's kind of a classic about how you use the lessons of history um, in in our jobs. We often think about, you know, say, well, you know, five years ago we did something this way. And Thinking in Time gives you a way of, you know, how to use history and use the lessons of the past, but don't fall into traps. Make sure that, you know, that, you're you know doing apples to apples comparison and an analysis and analogy, and how to successfully use lessons from the past and history, and also traps you can fall into. Um, and it's a great book because it it's it's you know it's a lot of case studies, starting with the Cuban Missile Crisis, about how to get things right in some places where we got thing where where we didn't get things right. The third and fourth are uh, books about Ernest Shackleton, great leader. Um, Best known for his, uh, you know, getting getting through his cross Antarctic uh, expedition that went uh, went sideways, and uh, how he led his team through that and got everybody back alive from just an absolutely harrowing experience. Uh, two books; they're both called The Endurance, which is the name of his ship. Uh, one by Caroline Alexander, the other by Alfred Lansing. They're both equally good. Um, so I would encourage that about Shackleton, about the personal character of you know what makes a a strong leader so they would be my three books team of rivals thinking in time and either version of the endurance
0: and that story about uh shackleton that certainly is a, a a story about resilience i would say would you agree with
1: that it is absolutely story about resilience it is also absolutely riveting um even though you you know you know if you've read the history or know anything that you know that it's going to end up with a good ending, but you're just reading really going page to page wondering, how do they get out of this? How does he get them through this? Um, and and his individual leadership um and and build, keeping that cohesive team together through just unbelievable trials in the Antarctic.
0: And the second top three are your top three, and we're going to call these skills or competencies mm-hmm. for Army leaders.
1: I would say, um, and this is not in necessarily in any order because I think you need all three of them, I would say communication, uh, your ability to communicate to the team, your your expectations, what the requirements are, um, your ability to communicate up, to explain uh, to your, your bosses and to advocate for your team with, with your bosses. Um, the the part communicating that we don't often talk about is the receiving element the listening um listening to your teammates uh to learn from them they've got you know a lot of good ideas they will often come up with better solutions than you would ever dream of Uh, so listen to your to to your teammates and encourage them to to share their thoughts their ideas uh their innovations and listening to your boss, you know, really understanding what's your boss's vision, what's the intent, um, and, and what are ways that you can improve as a professional. So, communicating, and I would say listening at the top. I would say empathy, uh, take care of your people. Um, by the time we get into leadership positions, we've, we've learned technical competence in our field, but you know, we're now responsible not just for, for an outcome, but for taking care of our people and with empathy to listen, to hear, to understand their challenges and to help them through their challenges, because that's going to help them uh, to, to accomplish the mission. And third, I would say is self-control. Um, you're going to face challenges as a leader. You're going to have things go wrong. Um, you're going to face crises. And it's critical that you maintain your control um, in the face of a crisis. Your, 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 your team members are looking to you for leadership. Um, and if you stay cool, calm and collected, that's reassuring to them, uh, encouraging them to work the problem. Uh, but again, that, that's self-control. Don't be the person who's you know, doing the, the, the screaming and yelling. I think we've all unfortunately had that experience. You know, self-control, you know, you know, hold it in and, uh, and, and again, keep your team focused on working the problem and working through whatever challenge they have at hand. And our final
0: set of, uh, top threes is your top three leadership lessons
1: learned. I would say own your own and your team's mistakes is, is first. You're going to make mistakes as a leader. Okay. Just accept that. Uh it, it, you're you're going to make mistakes. And even inaction can make can be a mistake. Not making a decision, not taking an action, that can be a mistake. So own your own mistakes. And, and don't be afraid to own your own mistakes in front of your team members. Let them know that you recognize your own fallibilities. Um and own your team's mistakes. Okay. You've got to have their have their back. You've got to provide them that top cover. Okay. So own the mistakes of the team. Um, you know, loyalty runs both ways, be loyal to them. Number two, and this one can, all, can be very difficult also, is own your boss's decisions. And that can be particularly difficult if it's known that you've been advocating for a different decision, you know, in the, in the decision-making process. But you've got to own your boss's decisions like they're your own, because you're responsible for execution, you're responsible for implementation, and you've got to lead your team through that implementation. So own your boss's decisions as your own. Telling people, hey, we got to do this because the boss told me, okay, that that only takes you so far. You've got to own it yourself. Third one, don't make work your life. Take care of your family, have a hobby or hobbies, have outside interests. Nobody ever finishes, you know, retires at the end of a career and says, gee, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. Gee, I wish I'd gone to more meetings. Um, I don't like the term work-life balance because there's an implication that there's work and then there's your life. Work is a part of your life, a very important part of your life. You're going to spend a lot of time there, but you need to have more to your life than just your job. So, again, tend to your family, take care of your family, take care of yourself, have a hobby have an outlet it will make you a better person it will make you a happier person you'll be more resilient and you'll be a better leader for it, for your your team members if if you have a life outside of work if you if you are a complete person
0: and so Dr. James Hellis director of the army resilience director I want to thank you for being with us today on leader up thank you for your time sir
1: Thank you, thank you for inviting me into to to all of the Army civilian leaders. You matter. The Army could not function without you. You know, so you know, stick with it and and you know, take care of your people and press on with the mission. Again, thank thanks to the, for for having me today.
0: And so, leader up, audience. What did you hear from Dr. Hellas today that that uh, caught your ear? That uh, you're you're more interested in. Uh, What books do you read? What kind of uh, things do you think are important for leaders? And make sure to subscribe to our YouTube page and uh, join us again next time for another edition of Leader Up.
1: As always, if you have any questions or feedback or would like to learn more about our podcast, please check the description for our email and for our website. Thanks for listening.